Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I'm so excited to be back on the podcast. I've really, really missed it, but boy, while I was away, did I do something fantastic. I have a wonderful new therapy manual, and as you can tell, I am completely over-the-top excited about this book. It's called Let's Talk About Talking, Ways to Strengthen the 11 Skills All Toddlers Master Before Words Emerge. And the cool thing about this book is (laughs) it does not matter why a kid isn't talking. It doesn't matter if there's a diagnosis, if there's not a diagnosis. Whatever the situation is, if you look at the reasons that even toddlers who have a diagnosis, like autism, like apraxia, like some kind of genetic or uh, chromosomal abnormality, uh, something like uh, cerebral palsy or Down syndrome, if you look at not the diagnosis but the things that really create the delay of the disorder, if you look at those skills, it really can be boiled down to about 11 different things that can interfere with a child acquiring first words. So I think this book is phenomenal. It's a great, great tool for you as a pediatric speech-language pathologist, another kind of early intervention professional, or even a parent to kind of look at, okay, it doesn't matter what official medical diagnosis or developmental diagnosis someone has given this child. What's the down and dirty reason he's not talking? And this book will walk you through that. There's a fantastic checklist and a little description of each of those 11 pre-linguistic skills so that you can really pinpoint, okay, he, he does this one, you know, that's reason for celebration, and then move on to, gosh, this isn't so great. This, he, he's not so uh, terrific with this skill. And then you'll identify it, you'll figure out how to prioritize it, because there's some guidance for that as well. And then you'll get a good discussion about how it relates to language development. And then the best part, strategies, what you can do at home, activities that walk you step by step by step with how to address this skill in everyday routines. And if you're on my email list, you got a little email yesterday that said, you know, no pie in the sky or pie in the sky, no thank you. (laughs) And so yesterday was Thanksgiving, if you're wondering why I have that reference. But most of us in America eat pie of some sort to celebrate Thanksgiving, but uh, kind of used a little takeoff on that with the techniques and strategies and activities in this book are not pie in the sky. They are so easy to implement and really, really practical for families at home who have toddlers and how how do we work these kinds of things into our everyday routine. So as you can tell, I am so super excited about this project. If you haven't heard about that book yet, get on teachmetotalk.com, read the post about it. There are a couple different things there that you can get good information. If all that fails and you want me to email it to you, just email me at laura at teachmetotalk.com, and I will be more than happy to help you get that information. All right, today we're going to be talking about a really common time in the course of a week when I have several people ask me the same question. I feel like Hmm. <laughs> I'm supposed to be talking about this because I keep getting reminders of what uh, people need to know. And so over the last, say, 10 days or so, I got the same question over and over with, my child can say some words, or my child is a good signer, and even my child uses a communication system, but he will 
not initiate. I have to always ask him what he wants. How in the world can I get him to start taking that lead? And remember why that's so important for late talkers and for all toddlers in general um, who are learning how to talk. They have to learn that they have to do something to get something, and they also have to learn that people aren't going to read their minds. We have to be able to tell other people what we need and what we want. We have to be able to explain why we're crying. <laughs> we have to be able to, uh, when we're hungry, to ask mom or dad or whoever's there for something to eat. You know, you can't get it by yourself when you're two, but you can learn how to say a word. You can learn how to sign. You can learn how to do something first. And that's the initiation part. You know, before a kid really, really begins to initiate, we have to help him learn that process. And so I put together a hierarchy for prompting or cueing, however you want to think about that. And so let's walk through this information. I've compiled it from a couple of different resources, and I found some great infographics, the original sources for this information. You can find that at teachmetotalk.com under the post about this show, which happens to be number 321. You can find it there at teachmetotalk.com's homepage, right there in the middle banner. So super, super easy to get there um, and read the post about this show and then uh, also look at those infographics that were from Pinterest. All right, but there are lots of us who, yay, we like that visual information like that. And it's great when it's pretty. But again, we're more the, <laughs> give me the meat of the presentation or the meat of the information. And so I made a list for those of us who process like that and who prefer our information in that kind of formatting. So let's just zip through this list here. And again, you can get the written summary at teachmetotalk.com. So what's the very first thing that we can do? And remember, we're talking about how we help a kid take the lead or how we help him learn how to initiate or tell us on his own what he wants. And a lot of times it just begins with waiting. So the number one recommendation here is wait to give a child time to initiate. Now, why is that important? So many times as adults, we just jump right in there and we just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And we do not give a child enough time or enough space <laughs> to be able to get a word in edgewise. Can you identify with that? If you are a chatty patty like me, and face it, most speech pathologists are. <laughs> That's why we picked this career. So, so many times we are so busy talking and we just think, I'm just going to pour this language into this little child's brain. And we almost sabotage a child's attempts to talk or our attempts to elicit those first words because we're doing all the talking. Kids need some time. They need for us to be quiet and wait, wait, wait just a little bit so that they at least have an opportunity to initiate. So this is the very first strategy you should try. So if you're thinking, hey, my kid as a parent, you know, this kid at home, he's talking more in therapy. I know he can say all these words, but somehow we just don't really hear it from him. We're just a little bit disappointed with, you know, we're happy he can imitate now. We're happy he can sign. 
whatever skill he's acquired, whatever his mode of communicating is. We're real happy about that, but if we're always having to say or ask him first, you know, what else can we do? And so our very first and easiest strategy, by the way, is just to wait. Now, I wrote about this in a little cute little post called The Power of Waiting, and it really it was in the context of car games. I wrote it a couple of months ago, like in August when school was starting, uh, and talked about how important it is. So if you need another little written resource about that, read that at TeachTube. And that, that link is actually in the post for today's show. But the recommendation that I made in that post is sometimes for those of us who are a little bit hyper, a little bit um, high energy, <laughs> we need a, a, a system, we need a technique so that we ourselves are remembering to wait. So I really... I honestly have to count sometimes, just sit and count to myself. And I made a little joke, you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, which is kind of funny since that's my home state. Um, and just really making yourself sit, and especially if it's so hard for you, if you really, really know that you have the problem of over-talking, sit there and silently count to yourself. And that can feel like an eternity. Sometimes I've recommended that to parents who share my same personality and I've said you know no wonder that your child is not talking when I'm here because between you and me boy we're doing all the talking and when I've when I've said hey I want us to sit here and silently count to 10 before either one of us says anything when we're holding up this cool thing your child wants and sometimes we'll get to six or seven and I can see that a parent on their face is realizing man I've never been quiet this long in my life <laughs> I've never waited this long. No wonder. And I'm not kidding you. Sometimes when you are just at the end of that and you think it has been such an uncomfortable pregnant pause there and you realize, gosh, I have not given this child enough time. I have not provided enough silence so that he or she can gear up enough to talk. And again, sometimes it's just as simple as that. Now, it doesn't always work that way, but remember we're working through a hierarchy here or we're going from easiest or least restrictive, least um, assistance. We're moving through that. So waiting is our very, very first strategy here to give a child time to initiate on his or her own. Now, I didn't talk about this before I talked about waiting. But we also can do some things where we set up a situation so that a child is more likely to initiate. And that's really called environmental sabotage or communication temptations. And we'll talk about some ideas for those at the end. But realize that that's uh, – well, this kind of leads to the next point. So let's just go ahead and talk about that. We have to create enough interest and motivation for a child to want to initiate. So if you were just sitting there with him thinking, hmm, Hmm, I wonder how I can get this kid to talk, or I wonder what I can do to get him to say something. Sometimes use what's already going on there. You've got to provide something that is so exciting and so provocative and so enticing that a child just can barely hold back. You know, you've just introduced something, and he wants it so badly that he pushes himself over the edge because you've given him a reason to communicate. And that's a, that's really the first starting point. We're working through this prompting hierarchy. And again, we'll get to those ideas at the end. But I just want you to know that sometimes you do have to do something even beyond the waiting piece because 
what what are you waiting on? You know, what in the world? He's going to go off and find something to do on his own. So sometimes we have to set the stage a little bit with something that we introduce in a highly entertaining, engaging way that really facilitates that um, initiation piece. So, again, that sort of comes with four weight. So we have that, then we have weight, and then we have create interest and motivation also with an expectant pause. So this means with this strategy that you're going to use your body language to look like you know at any second that child is about to pop a word out or perform a sign or give you a picture or use his speech generating device. However he communicates, it doesn't really matter with these techniques. And we're really talking about how we elicit or prompt expressive language or or how he tells us what he wants. So there's his language, and maybe we'll do that show next week. But here, again, my point is it doesn't matter what kind of expressive language he's using. These techniques aren't only for kids who talk. We can certainly do them with kids who are using any other augmentative or alternative communication form as well, which, again, would include signs, pictures, or a little device, or an app if a kid happens to be doing that. All right, so... This expectant pause piece is so important, and I always do a little joke about this when I teach this information live. I always talk about with the audience who are usually speech-language pathologists or occupational therapists or other kinds of early interventionists. I'll say, you know, we we use the... Uh, the expectant waiting, we talked a little bit about how how does that look, what do you do? And so I count to three and I say, okay, I want everybody to show me how you do an expectant pause. And it is so funny because universally we all do nearly the same things. We lean forward, we widen our eyes, we open our mouths, just that kind of anticipatory posture and, we, you know, we kind of light up, you know what I mean by that? meaning you are just looking like you are sitting on the edge of your seat. You cannot wait. You know that that kid is about to pop that word out at any minute. And sometimes some of us even do a little, you know, again, that anticipatory expectant posture. (laughs) Another way, like with waiting, that you think, I cannot believe how well this works. Because it really, really does. You're really setting the stage. You are, again, sending that really nonverbal message to that child with, I know you can do this. I know you can say this. I'm waiting here. I'm, and again, it's a little bit beyond waiting. You're not just sitting there passively. You're doing what you can do without a word to set the stage that he will talk or sign or use this picture or device. All right, so that was number two. Let's move on to the third way that we can prompt a child to help him be able to initiate. And remember, our purpose here is so that we're not constantly saying, what do you want? You have to tell me what you want. Now, those strategies are valid and are useful and appropriate when a kid won't initiate. And we'll get there. Remember, we're walking through this hierarchy or, you know, easiest way to do it, (coughs) excuse me, or least restrictive way to do it. We will get to that full prompt. But for right now, we're keeping it at a nonverbal level because we want a child to learn how to do, learn how to initiate, learn how to ask on his own. But we've got to, we've got to get in there. And again, how you would apply these things are: you would try the first ones, you would try waiting, and if that didn't work, you would move on to using that expectant pause. And then if that doesn't work, you move on to this, 
which is adding even more body language. So again, we're not quite talking yet. <laughs> we're giving a child more information nonverbally. So here you've done your little looking, your expectant, you know, anticipatory posture there. Now we do something like shrug our shoulders as if we're saying, what? or we might even use a hand motion. Say we have a snack there that we know that he wants. And maybe he hasn't really noticed it. Maybe he has sort of looked at it, but you want to do everything you can, again, to direct his attention to that and to make it more likely that he will communicate on his own. So you might point at the snack. Or let's say that you have done a really creative environmental sabotage or communication temptation where you've placed his very favorite toy up on the shelf. And he sort of noticed it, but again, you want to highlight the fact that that toy is there and waiting and available and that you are there and waiting and available and want him to want to give him that reason to include you and to communicate with you. And so you might look at it a lot and then look at the kid or, again, any kind of little body language, any kind of gesture that you can use, direct pointing like you've already talked about, little eye gaze, shrugging your shoulders like we talked about, just uh, just a, a general kind of, <gasps> when you're looking at that, you know, and again, we're trying our best to keep it nonverbal at this point, but do everything you can nonverbally to draw that child's attention to what it is that you think that he wants to ask you about or that he wants. And one more time, let me just say, silence can be such a powerful motivator for a late talker who is really used to the adult doing all the heavy lifting with communicating, meaning that they really are dependent on you to ask they want. They're okay responders or okay imitators but they haven't quite made that leap to initiating or doing things on their own. So those were the three initial strategies where we're not talking, where we're waiting to give a child time to initiate. We're creating that interest and motivation. We're using that expectant pause, and then we're going to add even more body language. So those were the nonverbal ways. So if we've done all that, if we have set that, set that foundation and the kid still isn't initiating, then we know, okay, we can't really lose them here. Let's move on and talk a little bit, but we don't want to go straight to that requesting a response. At this point, we still want to keep it pretty general so that, again, we're giving him that opportunity to come up with that word on his own or to truly take the lead there. So what would you do? You could start with some kind of non-specific statement or question, but again, where you are leading him to request. So my favorite way to do this is just to look at the child and look at what he wants and look at the back of the child and say something like, hmm, like I'm thinking. And, you know, years and years ago, I saw a therapist do this, and it was so cute. They would tap their chin like, hmm, you know, you've probably seen somebody do that before, that little gesture that indicates that you are deep in contemplation. So just do that. And I've had so many cute little late-talking friends begin to imitate that gesture and telling me, even before they can begin to initiate, which is our goal here, before they even can imitate like the hmm piece or the what, which you might also say at this point, they'll do the little gesture. And, again, that lets you know. They are on the verge of being able to do it. 
they are on the verge of being able to pop out that word because they're imitating the gesture there and they're paying attention and they're, and they're with you and they get it. They understand that you are giving them that opportunity to talk. So something like, hmm, you know, a leading statement like that, or you could be a little bit more direct than that. And I told you that I, I'll say, what? Now what? Or something like, what are we going to do now? And so you're not saying the next direct kind of request where you're saying, you know, tell me what you want or you have to ask me. But it's just a little more general, which is um, a little less directive. And so some kids do need that. So if you have always used the cue, which is coming up next, a direct request for a response, tell me what you want or you have to ask or I will give it to you, but you have to tell me or any kind of cue like that. Back it back up to something less specific. So back it back up to what or or oh my something again that you've said something established that you are sort of asking him, but you're just not being quite as directive. So try, try that. Try that. So if you're listening and that, that's something that you're wondering about, you know, if this would be successful, that would be. The, the first thing that I would recommend that you do. All right, so number four we're, or five, this next one, we're requesting a response. So, again, tell me what you want or you have to ask. And here you're not modeling the word or the sign a child should say, but you're super clear and, again, more direct that you expect him to try to tell you on his own. And that's where a lot of us are. And that's where all the parents were in therapists that emailed me and said, how can I help a kid? initiate and all of them invariably said he will tell me what he needs but only when I ask him and so that's that's what you those kinds of parents should do is back right up to you know what do you what do you need or not even what do you need you know oh what what should we do now all right hang on one second let me try to get this beeping to stop I'm so sorry Sorry about that little technical difficulty. I have no idea what that beef was, but it's resolved, and we can jump right back in and pick up where we left off. All right, so we were talking about that direct response. So what do we do after that? What would be for kids who aren't even at that direct response level? So that we're saying, you tell me what you want or you have to ask. How do we not give them the word? Well, one thing to do is try a carrier phrase to get a kid started. And this can be super, super successful. And I've, I've noticed just from my own experience, this technique works particularly well for children who are on the spectrum. So kids who already have an autism diagnosis or have a lot of red flags for autism, thing to do for them is to use a carrier phrase. So you say the beginning part of their request. So you say, I want a, and then you do that expectant waiting there, that fill in the blank for the completion method to pause to let him complete the sentence. And again, that works so beautifully for so many children who just need that little bit of a cue, not the whole direct where you're modeling the entire 
phrase or sentence or word, but you just get them started. So that works really well, too. So we carry your phrase. And usually the I want, that's a pretty common one. I try to mix it up a little bit so that a kid isn't super dependent on hearing I want before he can do it. So you might try I need, give me, please, any kind of little requesting carrier phrase there to get him started. That can be super, super successful too. Our next strategy or technique in this prompting hierarchy is even a bigger hint than that. So you might still use the carrier phrase method there, but you're going to give him a phonemic cue. And in everyday language, that just means that you're saying the first sound of the word that he should say. So let's pretend that we're in the kitchen and we know that a toddler is thirsty and he loves milk. And you, let's say you're even holding the milk, <laughs> but you're not quite uh, wanting to give him the entire word for direct imitation. You might say, I want Mm. And then, again, you're giving him that first sound of the word to see if that will help. Now, remember, you're not really going to start at this level. You'll start at the earlier levels in this top hierarchy. But if you've tried, you know, you have to tell me, you have to say it. If you say, I want, and then there's nothing, after a couple times, go to, I want, mm, or let's say he wants a cookie, I want and just sit there and see if that won't prompt that word. So many kids will, you know, and it, it's like a light bulb goes off, and they <laughs> jump in so quickly. <laughs> we'll say, cookie, when you've done, I want, they just needed a little more of a hint. And again, remember, you're just walking a kid through this entire process, and you're doing everything you can other than modeling the word for him to imitate. But that's our last prompt here. And if you've gotten to the point where you've walked all the way through this and he's still not saying the word on his own, it's okay to model the word for him to imitate. And some kids just need that level for a long, long time. And that's why late talkers are so tricky because typically developing children, once they use the word and imitate it for a while, or use it imitatively for a while, they go on and add it to their spontaneous vocabulary. They can repeat it four or five times from mom. Let's say even 20, 25 times. They'll repeat it that many times or imitate it when they've heard mom use it. But then after a little bit, they do begin to say the words on their own. But again, remember that late talkers plateau. Kids with language delays and language disorders are atypical in that sense because they almost get stuck at various phases. And their phases, their stages of development last so much longer than children with typically developing language. And so, so many times we are so frustrated when we feel like all this kid will do is imitate. All he will do is repeat me. And we're not realizing it's just that he needs a few more weeks of that or a few more months of that. And if I will just stay the course and keep modeling the word here, he'll get it. He just needs a little bit more time. And I have to have this pet talk with parents and say, failure, if your child does not pop out that word on his own. All talking begins with imitating. And so many times that's good enough. And as therapists, we need to remember that because – we are so anxious to move on to the next level and the next 
skill. You know, we celebrate for two seconds <laughs> when a kid gets a new skill. We're all happy. Woo-hoo! And then we jump right on without really, really giving him time to solidify his skills at a particular developmental level. And so just don't get so wigged out or so concerned if a, if a kid is a new imitator, if him really, really talking is still pretty new, don't get hyper-focused on him saying the word without hearing the model first. Give him plenty of time to imitate because, again, he may have to stay there for weeks or months before he's really, really ready. Now, if you do have a kid that's not even imitating words yet, let me say these strategies are really not appropriate. You need to be walking him through um, the levels of building verbal imitation that we talk about in my course for therapists, Steps to Building Verbal Imitation of Toddlers, or you can get that same information in the therapy manual called Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers. That's how we get them to repeat. So, again, if you're listening to the show and you're thinking, well, my kid doesn't even really repeat a word, you know, boy, I would be excited if he would just copy what I – these strategies that we've talked about today really are for children who are already imitating pretty well. And you can certainly use them with nonverbal kids, but you really, really, really want to have a kid frequently imitating before we worry about him being spontaneous. So just keep that in mind, too. If you need some help with that, though, I've given you those two great resources, Building Verbal Imitation Skills and Toddlers, or if you're a therapist and need to get your continuing education hours – for ASHA, if you're a speech pathologist, or for state licensure or credentialing, uh, that course steps to building verbal limitations. Toddlers walks you through those eight levels of imitating. And let me just tell you, getting to words where a kid says words on his uh, imitates words, gosh, that's not even the beginning point. In that, there are six other really distinct baby steps before a child would get to that point where he would even be repeating you. So if you're listening and you're thinking, gosh, you know, I thought this, I thought I could use it for this, but I can see I have to back up even further. Take a look at that information in building verbal limitation skills and toddlers, and that will help you a lot. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we've got a few more minutes, so let's talk about this. I mentioned that um, creating the situation, and I said the two terms that mean the same thing, and I want to be sure that if you are a parent, you are understanding that the terminology or the professional jargon that speech therapists use could be a little bit different, but they all mean the same thing. So environmental sabotage or creating that opportunity, the communication temptation, is the very best thing that you can do to help a kid begin to learn to initiate or take the lead. And again, we we already said this is creating an opportunity for him to ask for what he wants. So let me give you some ideas for that. I've talked about that in a post at Teach Me to Talk called A Little Frustration Can Go a Long Way, using sabotage and withholding effectively to entice your toddler to talk. And if you're on my email list, you will get that as an email over this Thanksgiving holiday. It's a pretty long post, but it really talks about that that's our number one strategy. We set that stage. We, we do something that we know is highly motivating for a child to really uh, provide that chance for him to be able to jump in there and ask you for something. So what are some cool things that you might be able to do that would get environmental sabotage going? 
The first thing is a strategy that we already talked about that's pretty common sense that I think most of us as parents would try anyway. It's just to show a child something that he would want and not really talk about it, not really get straight to, oh, do you want this? Let's say that you've got a cool – Let's say you've got a cool action figure that he wants. So, uh, oh, let's use Paw Patrol, one of those little puppies, whatever you're going to call them. I don't know. Let's, I don't know those characters' names. Let's use a better example. <laughs> let's use the kind of food. Let's go back to that. Let's say that he loves Skittles and that you <coughs> know you can say the word candy. And so what would you do here? What would be your environmental sabotage? Just pick up the, the bag of Skittles and shake it in front of him. If you want to be a little bit more um, teasing about this, you might even open the bag of Skittles and say, ooh, ooh, look what I have, or something like that. You want to kind of take it further, eat a Skittle (laughs) in front of him. And you're not really telling, at this point, you're not saying, you have to say what you want. Tell me candy and you can have some too. Remember, you're setting up that situation. So you are looking at him and you are Again, being super, super playful, you don't want him to think that you are being mean or that you are eating, you know, taunting him. You just want to be be in the the really super, super nurturing and friendly way of setting that up so that he has a reason to ask you for that candy. I'll tell you something else I do in this kind of situation. If he has siblings at home, I give the siblings what I know he really wants. So let's go back to that Skittles example. I might call a sister over and say, oh, would you, you know, oh, look what I have. And if kids talk, they'll naturally say, I want some or give me that or can I have one? And you may even coach the older child a little bit before this all happens and tell them to ask for the Skittle the same way that a child would. So even if you have an older sibling there, you might coach him ahead of time and say, hey, in just a minute, I'm going to have this bag of Skittles, and I want you to walk over. And when I, you see me with the Skittles, I want you to come up, and I want you to sign candy for me. I want you to do exactly what your baby brother should do when he wants something. So you just walk up, and you sign candy. And see, again, you've not done it as the person who's fulfilling them, but you've given him a model of that. You've, you've set up a real-life situation, and again, that's why we call it communication temptation and environmental sabotage. You've set that up so that the kid sees that, and again, that's more incentive for him to be able to do it on his own without you really, really telling him. Other things that you can do here are just give him half or some of what he needs for something you really want to do. So let's say that your kid loves Thomas the Train, and he loves playing on the tracks. So, but let's say, say, what? how would you choose? What would you do? Would you give him Thomas without the tracks, or would you give him the tracks without Thomas? You know, again, we're only going to give him half of what he needs or part of what he needs because we want him to have a reason to ask us for the next thing. Logically, I would go with what, he says more frequently on his own or what he imitates the best. So if choo-choo is his word there or ta or Thomas or ta for train, whatever his approximation of that word or sign, if he signs train or choo-choo or whatever you call that, go with what you think that he would be more likely to initiate and just give him the other part of that. If track is a brand new word, you're probably going to need to hear that at the imitative level first before you should sabotage it. He's, you know, it's 
sometimes it happens, but rarely will you get a new word when you're using sabotage. Usually you'll have to set that up and do a lot of direct imitation when the word is brand new. And then after they've heard it enough times, eventually they do begin to imitate it. But if you've heard something for a while at the imitative level, that's a perfect, this is a perfect strategy for getting a kid to be more spontaneous and initiate. So uh, present the one that that he can't say, give him that piece of it, and then you withhold the, the piece of the part that he can say as what you'll try to get him to initiate with that hierarchy that we just went through. So let's use this example again. Let's use the example of, I do this all the time with my little swirly Fisher-Price racetrack. It's so cool because the cars start at the top and then they go down this round ramp. And so again, it looks more like a marble run or a ball ramp where they watch the car go down. And car is an easy word and an easy sign, and certainly a first one that we try to elicit with our friends. So what we would do is just set the racetrack out, but not do anything else. And this doesn't work with the new toy guys. <laughs> Kids have to have some experience with the toy before they know what goes with it and what they should be asking for. Uh, so play with it for a while and really get a kid imitating, you know, over the course of a couple of different weeks if you're a therapist for a few sessions in a row before you start trying to do this too because you want him to know what to expect. You want him to know what the pieces are and, again, be able to say it. So in this situation, you would set the racetrack down and you would just sit there and see what he's going to do on his own. You might even show him the cars, but remember, go back to our very first piece of this. What were we doing? We were waiting. We were just doing that expectant, expectant waiting. And it, it, and then we add a little bit of, while we're sitting there quietly, not saying anything, we add that expectant pause where we're, you know, that tell me face where you're leaning forward and you are getting that anticipatory posture and that expectant look on your face like I know you're going to say it. And then remember what we said after that? What was our next thing? It was adding a little bit more body language. So we might hold the car there while we have the racetrack and maybe point to the car or jiggle the car like, ooh, and add that little sound, which, again, that's the next strategy. It's that leading nonspecific statement or question. So, you know, ooh, so that you're showing in the car or, or, ooh, what should we do? That kind of really less directive. And then if he doesn't say anything, we move right into tell me what you want or say it, show, you know, ask me, whatever you say there. And then if he doesn't do it, we move up to what? The carrier phrase. So you're holding the car right in front of him. By now, he's probably getting pretty antsy because he's excited about putting the, getting the car and waiting with the racetrack. So you say, I want a, and you wait for him to fill in car. If he still doesn't do it, after a couple times, we say, I want a, we're giving him that first sound. And then if he still doesn't do it, we say car. <laughs> we've modeled the word or the sign. Or if he's using a picture system, we've done whatever prompt that cited as works is successful for that. And we model that there so that he can imitate us. And remember, it's okay if he does it. So other things that you might do. Let's talk about some things we've already talked about toys so we've talked about the racetrack we've talked about the train example let's say that you're playing with the ball toy withhold the ball and uh, that might be something that you would do let's talk about things we might do in daily routine so if you're a mom what are some things that you could do um, using the strategy of environmental sabotage to help a kid initiate 
a fun one is to give if they're not too cranky and too over the top dehydrated give them an empty cup and see if they'll ask for some juice or um a fun one that i've done with kids before is getting ready to go outside to play is maybe put on one sock and one shoe and leave the other foot bare and then see if he'll it'll prompt him to notice and say shoe or say sock or say oh like you know what are you doing lady i've got to have both socks and shoes on before i can go outside just do anything you can to set up really obvious situations so that it is darn near impossible for a kid not to ask for something so really be sure that you are thinking about that uh, start simple first just putting things out of reach so that a child has to have you before he or she can get what he wants and that piece by piece is really really successful too all right learning how to initiate is such an important skill and it's actually one of those 11 prelinguistic pre-linguistic skills that I mentioned at the beginning of the show included in Let's Talk About Talking. So if you need some more ideas for getting that uh, initiation piece going, get your hands on a copy of that new book, Let's Talk About Talking, because again, you'll have so many new ideas. And beyond that, you've got those step-by-step written instructions for walking you through teaching imitation. Now, I'll just tell you, this prompting hierarchy is not in the book. Boy, I wish that it were. <laughs> I wish that I had thought about that when I was writing it, but I didn't. And that's all right. So that's uh, new information for the show. But I do want to direct your attention to getting those step-by-step instructions there. And let's talk about talking. And that book is on sale right now. I'm still offering it at the pre-sale price. Uh, the pre-sale for that book started about a month ago, but because it's, the holidays you can certainly still take advantage of that you can order that at teachmetotalk.com and you'll see those posts there about it now if you're on my email list you've gotten some information about that as well so just click back through your old emails and take a look at that example all right that's all for today guys we're about 15 minutes about a 45 minute show rather than an hour so if you are a treadmiller or a hiker, or one of those exercise people, and this is how you, one of the things that you do during uh, your exercise time, and you shoot for an hour, you still got 15 minutes to go. <laughs> but for the rest of us, we are going to call it quits with that today. Thanks so much for joining me for the podcast. And if you have, if you would like to be a guest on the show and pick my brain and get an hour to talk about new ideas or just a brainstorm. You know, what can I do for my child? Or, or if you're a therapist, what can I do for this kid who's on my caseload? I would love to hear from you. So just shoot me an email at Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at teachmetotalk.com, and I will be happy to talk with you about being on the show. Or if you are shy and think, man, I want to hear what she has to say, or I'd love to get some her take on this and just, again, some brainstorming, but I don't want to do the show. You can always just send me a really detailed scenario, so more like a paragraph or a letter where you are explaining that question, and I would love to do that even if you don't want to participate. So wanted to go ahead and get that invitation out there. I would love, love, love to hear from you. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and you have been listening to Teach Me to Talk to Podcast. Join me next time and have a fantastic week.